Doing it live on a Monday this week. Bo Bishop and Johnny Ginter, this is the Dubcast. Um, so we will do, we've got a lot to get to. We're going to do a little Big Ten Media Day. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the basketball tournament. We will uh, talk a little bit about some of the news that came out. We've also got camp starting on Thursday. We will do Game of Thrones because we had a big episode. <laughs> my friend. We, we yes. had a bit of a big episode. Uh, so we'll get into that, and we will do. Uh, we'll, we'll try to have some fun along the way. Would you permit me a quick story? Would yeah, you, just a course. quick story Always. off the top. Okay. Always. Um, so I live in the Cleveland area and have now for for two years. And um, what I have witnessed in the last five days is why I think the fastest growing, most important sports brand in the state of Ohio for young people, and it is for everybody, is Ohio State football. Mm-hmm. My, and I'll tell you this story. So Kyrie Irving, in case you have been living in a, a cave in Burma, has requested a trade from the Cleveland Cavaliers. So this is the first experience I've had with telling one of my boys that one of their favorite players doesn't want to play here anymore. <laughs> so my three-year-old, my oldest son is five, and my, my middle son is three, and uh, his name is Parker. And um, I named him that because one of the guys who makes bourbon for Jim Beam's name is Parker Beam. So I call him nice. Beamsy. That's his nickname. Uh, I don't tell my wife that because she would never have allowed it, but that's the (laughs) truth for those listening. Um, So anyway, um, I have to tell Beamsy that, that Kyrie Irving is requesting a trade and his, the disbelief in his face uh, was (laughs) shocking. And then his lip, his big lip, his lower lip just got huge. Oh man. like when they play basketball, my oldest son is LeBron and he's Kyrie and they play basketball. Well, now Kyrie's going to, Kyrie doesn't want to live in Cleveland anymore, dad. How do you explain that? And it crystallized to me. And I've always thought this about like when people who aren't from Ohio or have never lived here, have no point of reference on Ohio state, ask me what it's about. My, the, the best way I can explain it is, is a, a kind of dovetail off something Woody Hayes said. And that is, um, to the extent of Ohio is the best part of America, Columbus is the best part of Ohio, and Ohio State's the best part of Columbus, right? But the other thing about it is that Ohio State football, for a hundred and some odd years, has delivered for you if you were a little kid in this state. And if you think about what that means, if you grew up in Cleveland at any time other than LeBron, you could count on Buckeye football. Right. They were going to be good. They were going to be good. They're going to nine or 10 games every single fall. And the Browns could suck and the Indians could suck and the Cavs could have Ted Stepping as an owner and Buckeye football was going to deliver it for you. And in the city of Columbus, obviously it goes without saying, but the same could be true where you grew up in Cincinnati, just outside of Cincinnati. I know where you grew up in Southwest Ohio. If the Bengals sucked or if the Reds were down, the Buckeyes. And if you tell people you're from Ohio, you can say, yeah, we got, we got the Bucks. They're good. They're right. great. And there, there's not many things. It crystallized for me. And I, I, it was a reminder for me because when I tell people, that's, I tell them some variation of that line and that story. And, and it, I saw it crystallize with my three-year-old. And within a couple of hours, they were playing football. And he was dressed as Braxton Miller in the Braxton <laughs> Miller jerseys. And he was ready to go. And it was on and go Bucks. So right. I wanted to share that because I think sometimes we, you know, you get so caught up in it. And everybody loves their Buckeyes, and certainly the people who listen to this podcast probably do. Um, but it crystallized for me with my three-year-old that, oh, I get it. He's going to grow up in Ohio, and they're never going to. Urban Meyer's never going to ask out, and if he does, they'll find somebody just as good to replace him. Like that's <laughs> that's 
that's what Ohio State football is for the state of Ohio and for the kids in the state. Well, and, you know, a lot of that, especially when it comes to professional sports, is so fleeting. Like, sure. the only time, you know, the only time the Reds were really, really good was, I think the last time was when I was, like, five. You know, that's when they last yeah. won a World Series. The last time they won a playoff series was when I was 10. Yeah. And I'm 32. <laughs> so, yeah. it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, and, and so you can't count on it. And, and the fact that you have something that you can count on in Ohio State is pretty sweet. And, and it, I think it, it's pretty obvious that people are really devoted to it, probably yeah. in part because of that, because they watch the Browns and the Bengals and the Reds and the Indians suck on a pretty consistent yeah. basis. And you start to develop a really, you know, pretty deep attachment to Ohio State and Ohio State Buckeyes. I just, I mean, one of the things that I really loved about, and I've said this on the on the podcast before, one of the things I really liked about Ohio State when I was young is that, you know, I felt that Cincinnati Reds, all right, I'm from the Cincinnati area. I love the Reds. It's great. But I, I really kind of just liked them in the fan sense. With Ohio State, the name's in the title, right? Like the, the point is in the title of the team, the name of the team. That's right. They represent right. Ohio. So I felt that their success was my success. And I didn't feel that way with any other team in the state of Ohio. And granted, that's probably because they sucked a lot when I was a kid. Um, sure. But that's not something that you really get with professional sports a lot. And, and of course, if you go to the university, you have even greater attachments. So, you know, that's why stuff like Big Ten Media yeah. Day is such a big deal because people are like, all right, these are my guys, these are my boys. <laughs> like they're, you know, this is my family getting on the TV. And it's, you know, it's not quite that, but it's it's still pretty intense, and and obviously people you know pay pretty close attention to it. Yeah, and the reason that like Big Ten Media Day was today, it started to Big Ten Media Days started today. Yes, and um and it's it's it signifies that we're close. Yeah, right. That's what it <laughs> right. really means. It means we're close. Uh, Buckeyes are going to practice on Thursday. Urban made a point of contention in his conversation today, and I agree with him that they got rid of two a days, but now they have five weeks to practice instead of four. It's just way too long. Um, so they're really not going to start training camp. I read until next Thursday is kind of the way he's going to run it. Like this will be an extended spring football. Which um, is there wasn't any. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can't grind these kids into nothing in over yeah. five weeks. It's just, crazy. I think a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people would say like, they need to practice as much as humanly possible. But absolutely not. They, they need to be real. No, super, yeah. 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 About less, far less, far less. Yeah. With, with yeah. what's required of these kids in spring and in the summer, compared to what was required 20 years ago. I mean, it's just, let alone what they're required to do in season. I mean, it's right. yeah, way less. I mean, it, two, three weeks to get ready for first first game. That's all you need. I mean, it's they don't need to be doing it like this, but that's the way it is. Um, I didn't see anything particularly newsy about it. Um, for the people listening who have never been to a, a Big Ten Media Day, um, what it can be is an all-out circus. And in the years that, the, the eight years that I went to it, I can name off the top of my head several occasions where it was. Um, Urban Meyer's first Big Ten media day was a complete circus. I mean, it was as if Elvis Presley had walked in the room. I mean, he was such a rock star. And, and nobody knew what he was going to say. It was the first time that he had talked since I got him trouble at his first you know, postseason when I asked him if, after signing day if the Big Ten, you know, did he notice that he was the only program that recruited in the top ten in the country? And he said, yeah, I did, and we got to do better. And then he got in trouble with that at that coaches <laughs> meeting in Chicago. So it was the first time since then that he had faced the media um, and you didn't know how he was going to be surrounded, you know, what, how he was going to be with, with on that type of stage. And he is exactly how he is all the time. He was great. Right. Um, but also that was the same year that Penn state, and it's, it's actually the five-year anniversary today of Penn state wow. sanctions being levied. 
So when we went to Chicago for those Big Ten meet, yeah, when we went to Chicago for those Big Ten media days, that was Michael Mowdy and Bill O'Brien, and I forget the other kids that were there. But if you remember, Penn State coaches were going to Happy Valley to recruit kids off of that team actively. Like Tim Brewster and those guys were over there trying to get guys off the team. It was it was a fire sale. It was crazy. It was. So they were there. So that was just mayhem. The only other two that were were really interesting to me was. I'll never forget looking at Brady Hoke and going, so this is the coach at Michigan. Really? <laughs> like they hired Fred Flintstone and Tommy yeah. Boy. Like they hired some combination of Tommy Boy and Fred Flintstone to coach Michigan. <laughs> this is what we're going with. And then that was followed by Jim Harbaugh's first, which was another, you know, rock star. You just, cause you just didn't know what in the hell he'd be or what he would say. I mean, it, so those, those are the ones that jump out to me. It is an enormous to do. It is a ton of media. And it's always in Chicago, which is a great city. And it's usually at the Hilton down by the lake. Um, so it's, a, it's good. It's a, great, it's a great thing. But rarely does anything too big come out of it. Um, I remember the year Bradley Roby had, was supposed to go and then was a late scratch because he got in trouble in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it's a pretty mundane process. But what it does is it does signify the football season is here, which that's pretty cool. Yeah, and well, one of the things that I talked about last week in something I wrote was that it, it's it's essentially to collect quotes. Like you want to get as many quotes as you can for the preseason. Right, you get a lot of writing, right? So you can you can build off of those, and it's also establish whatever narratives that you want to do. You know, going into the scene, both for the media and for the team, because you know if you look at some of the quotes and stuff that Urban Meyer had about the team and and what he's looking for, a lot of people will probably I think focus maybe on. You know, the statements about the backup quarterback or who's going to start a wide receiver, which, I mean, given some of his statements, I maybe a little more pessimistic than I than I was before he started talking about it a little bit. Um, Are you talking about the Johnny Johnny Dixon stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and again, that's a dude that I want to see extremely successful, right? Like he yeah. deserves to be successful. Been through a lot. Yes, an enormous amount. Um, and I like. Like, you know, I appreciate the fact that Urban Meyer understands kind of, you know, you don't want to count your uh, your eggs before they hatch with them. But uh, to me, if that's the guy that you're really looking towards, and you're like, all right, this is going to be our, our next guy with uh, McLaurin. Like, I just, that to me is not super reassuring. Um, I, I do I think it's a little in, funny. I'd read into it the other way. I'd read into okay. it the other way. I would say that, that what he did today, like this is pretty classic urban. And what he did today was try to pump up a group that in the words of, of the current president of the United States is a little beleaguered. (laughs) That's, that's what, that's what it was today. It was about trying to instill confidence in that group. He beat him down. I I don't want everybody to have have that group. That group has enormous questions. I mean, they got enormous questions, huge. And they were bad last year and they got to be a lot better. Um, and I think what you saw today was him knowing his guys would be listening, trying to say that that room is great. They're going to be great. Like he's beat them down all spring. And now it's the positive affirmation to say you're going to be great. And I think that's what it was about. And I think if you were to hook him up to a lie detector, he'd be pretty worried about that group. <laughs> that's right. what I think. And Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of where I'm at with that as well, because I, I do, I mean, I see it the same way you do, but that's kind of my point. Like I, I would rather him be a little more, 
I don't know, realistic, if that if that's the right word with those guys. The backup quarterback situation, I think, is kind of funny uh, because I, there's really no denying the fact that you've got enormous amount of talent coming in mm-hmm. uh, to the team. And, you know, look, Joe Burrow, I know a lot of people like Joe Burrow, and I think he's capable of a lot. But, th- man, there is just a freight train of talent coming down the pike and there's nothing you can do to stop it uh, at that position. So I think that's going to be really fascinating to watch the next couple of weeks. Um, Cause I don't, I don't know if he'll maintain that spot. I think a lot of people would just automatically give him the backup position. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. So, yeah, that will be, fa- that'll be a fascinating watch. And what'll be interesting is how urban plays it because you know, Joe Burrow might be the most capable to go in and save a game if JT Barrett gets hurt. Yeah. Um, but if JT Barrett were to God forbid tear an ACL, then it might be a different decision. Right. I mean, I really believe that. I think if you know if you got to go salt away a game, it might be. And I also think don't underestimate Joe Burrow because he's pretty damn good. Um, oh yeah, you know they, he is. They, they yeah. really, they're in a, the embarrassment of riches at quarterback, and they've always had it since he's been at Ohio State because all these guys get hurt at quarterback, so he knows he needs the depth, and he's always had it. And um, and at least after you know he had some time to recruit. So um, yeah, that that to me will be really fascinating. There's a lot of position battles, and we'll get into that over the next couple of weeks as we start to you know look into camp and see how some of this stuff shakes out. Um, but those were the you know when you think about the broad strokes of media day, um, you know I, I think I think we you, you hit on kind of what it's all about and what it's going to be. And you know this team is so senior laden. Uh, one thing that I know that you and I will talk about a lot, and a lot of people on the on the site and and around Buckeye football will talk about it. This is really the JT Barrett season. This is the mm. referendum season for JT Barrett. <laughs> yes, um, and and he can go one way or another. Um, you know, we did that top ten players, you know, uh, top eleven players of the Urban Meyer era, and JT Barrett was in towards the middle of the pack. And you and I said when we did the podcast after talking about that on the TV show, we said, you know, look, this is a guy who can be in the top five, or he mm-hmm. can be off the list entirely um so it all just kind of depends on how this season goes for him and you mentioned backup quarterback my guess is if you put a poll on the site right now there'd be probably about 35 to 40 percent of the people who would want to play one of the backups over jt i mean that's (laughs) yeah that's that's how crazy it is correct yeah yeah and that's and and you know what that'll be bumped up to 50 or 60 percent if he doesn't throw for 300 yards in the first game like that's he struggles that's how people react so um, the only other news that kind of came out of it was Urban saying that Greg Schiano had been offered two high-level jobs. Yep. Um, uh, you know, this off-season that he stuck around for one more. Year. We knew that. Uh, this is what this is going to be, right? I mean, yeah, Schiano will be gone after this year, and uh, he'll be a head coach somewhere. And Ohio State is going to have to look for another defensive coordinator, and they're going to be in a weird spot. Um, it'll probably be Davis would make the most sense to slide him right up. Um, so provided that all goes smoothly, that's probably the reason that that hiring took place. And, or part of the reason that hiring took place was the long-term look of, hey, this is a guy who can learn from Greg how to be a college coach and how to recruit and all this stuff. And then a year from now can be our defensive coordinator when Greg goes back to you know, coaching at a very high level or the pros. So that, that was newsy, I think. that, that well, It's what we all knew, that Shano was going oh, yeah. to be this year and that was it. Right. No, and that's, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's that's when you bring in that kind of talent, that should be expected. I think it's interesting that they have to plan two coaches in advance, essentially yeah. when they make a new hire. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's probably a pretty unique situation in college football. I don't know too many teams that have to deal with something like that. Uh, but so far so good. I mean, the hires that they've made you know, as a replacement seem to have worked out generally. I mean, obviously there's been some 
you know, been some issues. I don't, I don't think every single one of them's worked out. And I think right. some of the guys that they've promoted have not, you know, done as good a job. But if you look at the type of, you know, general level of play, there hasn't been an enormous drop off in any one position where you're like, this, there's no way this team can compete because they simply don't have the coaching talent uh, to organize it. Uh, yeah. A lot of that's because of Urban. I mean, he's, you know, being such a good coach himself, he can obviously make up for any deficiencies in offensive play calling. And I'm sure he's smart enough, uh, you know, with regards to defense that he can help out there as well. So I don't, you know, it's, it's cool to see guys waiting in the wings like that. It's almost like having a backup, you know what I mean? Like you're yeah. looking at the backup quarterback and you're like, Oh, sure. okay. Next year, let's see how this is going to work. Yep. Uh, but you know, Shiano's going to give him another year. It's going to be a good year. Obviously the, the defensive line is going to be amazing. I think he's going to do some really cool things with the defensive backs along with, you know, Combs. So I, you know, I am excited for the year uh, simply on the basis that I thought last year defensively turned out way better than I expected. I thought there might be some friction. There was not, I was wrong about that. And they're just going to continue it. They're going to be one of the best teams defensively in the country. And it's going to be because of him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's you're lucky that that's the way it can be. And I think the big thing I would say is Urban learned uh, from his Florida tenure to make sure that he always had guys on staff to step into yeah. those roles uh, because <laughs> yeah. he didn't have that at Florida. You know, when he lost uh, Dan Mullen, that was a big drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was hard to replace Dan. And there were other coaches on those staffs too that he lost, and it was it was very difficult to replace. It and, just, and it's just weird. Staff around the, him. The, yeah, it's just weird that the phrase a pair and a spare would apply to an offensive <laughs> It you know? does. When you coach for Urban Man, it's everybody wants to replicate it. I mean, right. he, the way he goes about their business, people just love it. I mean, right? You understand why, but I mean, him and Saban, if you're attached to those guys, you feel like you learn from them, you're going to get a shot. And Urban's coaching tree is just so good. I mean, I was thinking about this with Hugh Freeze getting run at at, uh, at Ole Miss, and I was thinking about Dan <laughs> Mullen. I'm thinking to myself, man, has anybody done a better job than Dan Mullen? I mean, have you been to Starkville, Mississippi? <laughs> I have not. Tough. I have not had the pleasure, no. That's a tough spot, man. I mean, you are so second fiddle in your own state. It's stunning how second fiddle you are in your own state. And and you and he's won some games and been yeah. around and hung around and won seven, eight, nine games and in the toughest division, you know, for much of his tenure in all of college football being the SEC West. So um and he was Urban's offensive coordinator of Florida. I don't know why he didn't get a better job. I'm wondering why at some point they didn't. I'm, I'm guessing the only reason they haven't hired him at Florida is because there's so much animosity still there towards Urban that they wouldn't want one of his guys. But Mullen I, would have been a better hire than half these dipsticks they've hired over the last 10 years. Yeah, I don't I don't know how long. If that's what they're really holding on to, I think it'd be silly for them to continue that because, you know, the, the well, they'll best... hold on to it till they die. They'll That's silly. To, like, I don't understand that. I don't understand forever. that. If Florida wants to be the their view is he lied themselves to be. How could they do that? Yeah. Like, I, they got to get over it. They got to do what they been lied in there. Like, right. I don't care what Harbaugh said about us in the past. Yep. We need to win. Like, I don't get that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, their, their view is that Urban lied and they don't want to. I mean, he wasn't even invited back for the reunion. Yeah. He's the best coach in the history of their program. He's won two national titles. And the funny thing about it is, is Steve Spurrier coached against him in the same division. And as soon as he got done coaching at South Carolina, they named the field after him. <laughs> Right. I mean, think about that. He coached against them and chose to because they tried hiring Spurrier back after the Redskin flop. Mm-hmm. And Spurrier put it out there and he took the South Carolina job instead. And and that's the truth of it. And Florida people, for whatever they view that Urban lied to them. 
And I think it stings him because Ohio State's a prettier girl. He picked the prettier girl. Yeah. Um, the truth is, obviously, when he left, nobody there was no thinking that Tressel would leave Ohio State anytime soon. Right. Um, so, and to bring up full circle about Penn State, I know that Urban went to Happy Valley. And when Joe was at Penn State before all this stuff came out, and he was, you know, potentially thinking that Penn State would be a landing spot for him down the road, potentially replacing Joe. So, um, you know, the Trestle thing came out of nowhere and the rest is history, but Florida will never <laughs> forgive. Uh, one other thing I want to get to, um, and we'll do lots of these camp things as, as we get closer, but one of the yeah. things I want to get to is the basketball tournament. I, it's pure joy uh, to watch this team. I, I'm sure that like the ratings for this thing, like this random basketball tournament that's being played on ESPN on ESPN three. And I'm, I can't imagine what the, that the ratings in Columbus of the state of Ohio have got to like quadruple anywhere in the country. Right. But to me, it's like a nostalgia. Tr- it's like a, an homage t-shirt, you know, like yeah. <laughs> it's like a, a, a view back into a former time. It's the coolest damn thing. And I love that schoons involved with it. And, and uh, you know, we just, that team was so great. And to see Sully playing, I mean, it's just, it's been great. And I, I, there's nobody's going to say anything negative about it. And they can absolutely win the damn thing. And I'm curious to see, like, of the two million, what's the player cut? You know, because for some of these guys, you know, 100 grand's a lot of money. Right. Well, for, for most people, 100 grand's a lot of money. But for some of these guys, 100 grand's a lot of money. Yeah. So I'm curious how they're going to, how the money gets split. And it's a two million winner take all. And they're in the final four. I mean, I've loved what I've seen of it. Have, have you been watching it? Yeah, I watched I watched the most recent game all the way through, and you know, I what I thought was funny is you're right. It it totally is just a blast from the past. Like you just start having these flashbacks about all these other games that you've seen these guys in. And what's funny to me is that they're they also broadcast the games pretty much the same way. So like they they say the exact same anecdotes about Aaron Kraft solving Rubik's cubes. Right. They they say the same exact things about like you know. Like, I can't believe John Deebler's hitting all these threes. Like, I, I kind of can because I know who he is, and I've, I've heard it about a thousand times in the past decade. And you know, talking about David Light, he's such a smart player. Like, I know, I know, I know. No, I've seen it. No. Right. Uh, but watch – yeah, you're right. Watching them play is really, cool. really fun. Um, you kind of forget uh, their quirks and some of the things that they – watching William Buford just totally biff – on a dime <laughs> like that's that's something that you expect him to do and you forget that that's who he is and that yeah. you know and he, he still puts back the the rebound like it was a fun game to watch obviously they, they blew the crap out of the uh the marquette uh you know alumni i guess um mm-hmm. yeah they've got a real good chance at winning it they're, they're clearly a bunch of very talented players a number of you know nba caliber players uh john i hope john diebler scores like 50 in the final um hope he, hopefully hopefully we talked about it last there. week right yeah he i needs just to can't be believe six 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 seven that type of range i just don't understand how he's not in the league his and we'll his i'll program. get him on before before the summer's over i'm we're gonna get him on because i gotta know why yeah let's do it maybe it's his choice but i have no idea like to me that skill set just fits the nba like yeah. i think the Cavs could use him you know like anybody could use him. i think he'd fit great you know so um, yeah. All right. So before we get to let's do this, this, let's do ask us anything and then Thrones, because okay. then we can do spoilers. Like you won't have to listen to Thrones if you don't care about it. Gotcha. So so let's do that. We'll save Thrones for the end. And then then there we can say, you know, shut it down now. You don't want to hear spoilers. You don't care about, you know, Thrones. Yeah. If you're you, you can be a bad person and not care about Game of Thrones. It's fine. Um, OK, so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so 
11 uh, Dubcast ask us anything. You guys can send us questions to Dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast. This first one's from Alvin. Good friend Alvin wants to know, is naming uh, your dog Brutus overrated? No. Brutus is a great name for a dog. I agree. So is Bootsy. So oh. is any, you name, I think any dog that has like a, and any dog that has a, like you name a dog Roger, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> if you name yeah, a dog a funny. human. Any, any regular human that's name is funny. funny for a dog. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You just name a dog, name a dog Kevin. <laughs> like that's going to be funny. So yeah, no, name a dog Brutus. That's great. I think naming a kid Brutus is a little crazy. I had a guy on radio once tell me that he named uh, his daughter Scarlet Gray. Oh, God. And his last name. That's awful. I thought that's a bit much, but that, that needs Scarlet's to be a Scarlet. Cool. I got a buddy named his daughter Scarlet. Yeah, but Gray, like, I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> Gray really only works if your first name's Dorian, and that's pretty much it. I don't know that you can really, <laughs> I don't think it's going to work with it. That's going to be one of those yeah. things where, because I do this all the time. Like when I would take attendance in class, I've got the students first and middle name. And if I see a weird middle name, mm-hmm. you bet your ass I read that middle name. <laughs> You're reading it just to stick it to them. Oh, yeah. Helping no, well, create the complex, me. aren't you? Like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm, people, you know, it's, it's, if they really don't want me to read it, I won't read it. But if it's funny and I think they'll yeah. let me read it, I'm going to read it. So she's, yeah. I'm just saying, that's setting somebody up for a little hurt. Uh, so yeah, Brutus, Brutus is a fine name. <laughs> I think it might be a little bit overused, but that does not invalidate no. the name itself. So, uh, this one's from Justin. My uh, high school team was the Brady Bulldogs and we had a bulldog and his name was Brutus. <laughs> True story. But not Brady. The Bulldogs. name. It's good. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So this one's from Justin and, uh, so he, he, was not able to find the dubcast email so he actually sent it to to jason who then forwarded it to me so that's good uh bizarre. so i'm they got the yeah. are involved yeah i appreciate that so i'm sure it's yeah. been discussed before but i was wondering how the defense might change better or worse with shiano leaving i know you're ohio but what are some things that you may think change schematically uh with uh shiano leaves or with fickle yeah. leaving Let's say, let's say, let's let's go with Shiano because he did not necessarily specify. But let's go with Shiano. So he's saying, how will it change next year when Shiano's gone? Yeah. Boy, I, I wouldn't imagine it would change much at all because I think the best defense they ever played was last year when Shiano was here, and Urban's pretty smart. So my guess is he would copy that. And what they did last year is they were just ultra aggressive on the edges. Yes. Um. I mean, just crazy aggressive on the edges. And to do that, you have to have athletes, and they've recruited athletes, and they've given pimp numbers that we discussed a lot of times. So Jeffrey Okuda is going to wear number one, and he's going to be really good. So he'll fill in. And Kendall Sheffield is going to wear number eight, and he's going to be really good. So uh, you'll see Sean Wade running around, I think, in 24 or something like that. So he's going to be really good. So I think they'll just keep – that's the biggest change was just how aggressive they were in the back end. I think everything they did up front was pretty similar to what we've seen previously. It was just they were just so aggressive. Pressing, pressing receivers on the outside, and then the safeties were just total ball hawks, and they had right. stud safeties and stud corners. So I think that'll – Urban, one thing Urban does – I mean, it's just like what he did with this offensive hire when he went to Kevin. Like, you know, they, they, did not, they lost the tempo when Tom left, and mm-hmm. now they've got somebody that they think they can go tempo again with. So Urban will want to keep playing the same type of defense. I don't think you'll see much change. Yeah, and the one thing that I'll add to that, and maybe this is where we get like Kyle Jones on to kind of maybe dissect the the schematics a little bit, but I think 
the point that you made about uh, defensive ends being a lot more impactful, I think that is a really smart move that played to personnel. And I also think that when you're talking about the kind of defense that you're expecting the safeties and the corners to play, that does such a good job at, I think, lessening their responsibilities overall. When you are basically having those corners or those those uh, ends engaged, I think that really helps some of those guys out a little bit um, in terms of what you're going to be seeing like from the quarterback. So I don't, I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to be changing a whole lot of that. I just think that uh, a lot of it is dictated by personnel. And if they don't yeah. feel that they have the kind of pass rushers that they've had the past couple of years, then maybe that changes a little bit. Yeah. But, they, if they have pimps, then they'll keep doing it this way. Yeah. There's no reason not to. Yeah. Um, all right. So this is the last one that's from James and he says, as we are now 10 re- years removed from the peak Todd Beckman area, uh, at Ohio State, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> do you think he would have been skilled enough to succeed in Urban Meyer offense? Would he have been more similar to Cardale in 2014, or would no. he look more like 2015 Cardale? He wouldn't have never played. They would ask him <laughs> to transfer. And that, that isn't a negative to Todd, because Todd yeah. would have started at Michigan, and Todd was a first-team All-Big Ten quarterback. And uh, Todd Beckman is pure class, pure class. And what happened to him his senior year is something that to me, I always it's always in the back of my head about the way Tressel treated him, which was just BS, just mm-hmm. total BS. And it's not that he benched him. Uh, that's fine. But he talked that kid into coming back. He made that kid a captain. And then he benched him after one game when they got annihilated at USC and Beanie Wells didn't play. And they started playing Terrell Pryor from that point on. And Terrell Pryor would play sometimes good, sometimes bad. And Todd Beckman would show up every single game, post-game, and do press, post-game press conference because he was a captain and had to answer for it. Johnny, he had to answer questions about the guy who replaced him because Pryor wasn't available. So the, you, had, you asked Todd about Pryor. <laughs> like, think about how twisted that is. Yeah. Like, this is a first-team All-Big Ten quarterback who would have been probably a second-round NFL draft choice based on his junior year who you talked to come back and you did him like that. So that, to me, I, you'll never hear me say anything bad about Todd, but his skill set simply would not have worked for Urban, so they would have there just was not a match there at all. He wasn't, he's a traditional stand up drop back quarterback. I mean, he would, right. he'd have been fine at Michigan or something like that. Had he transferred out if urban was the quarterback, but he would well, never he have was, played for urban. If, if Justin's wick ends up being a great quarterback, right? Like mm-hmm. Todd Beckman is given every chance in the world because that's basically what the template was. They wanted a guy who could just sit back there and wing it. And the responsibility was not to pick up eight to 10 yards. You know, if something breaks down, it was to, you know, find the open guy and, and make the easy yeah. pass. Um, you know, I mean, you go to a national championship, you do the kind of things that he did. Yeah. Uh, you're right. You cannot. He's the first like, team. He was in the know, Heisman yeah. conversation. He lit up Penn State and Happy Valley. He was a first team Big Ten quarterback who led an Ohio State team who lost everybody yeah. to the national championship game. Right. That's what he so, did. So, I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah, and but you're, and but you're pure right. class. He represented the program flawlessly. Like I'll never forget at the at the God, this gets me pissed off because I like Todd so much. <laughs> at the Fiesta Bowl, they started Todd for one play so that Pryor wouldn't have to face media, That's and the right. whole world is wanting to know what the hell's going on. And here's Todd sitting at a podium having it, and he didn't even know he didn't know what was going on. But Tress did not want Pryor facing the media. So he put Todd out there and let Todd start. So the, and Todd played one possession. He started for one play, and then they went to the bench and it went back to prior. So yeah. I mean, I'll never get over that for the way that Tress handled that. That was piss poor on all fronts. 
Well, and, you know, you I just get off not on the only person definitely. who feels that way because there were a ton of his teammates who, you know, also yeah. felt that he was done dirty. And, I, you know, they got a point. Yeah. I mean, you know, especially yeah. that was especially yeah. what was communicated to him. Uh, so that's Ask Us Anything. Or not. Me. Sorry, or not. Do you know when he thought yeah, he wasn't right, going to start? Exactly. He didn't find out he was going to start until the huddle, until right before the game. <laughs> the next crazy. week. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, yeah. And he married Jim Haycock's daughter. He was dating Haycock's daughter. Jeez, it's just a bad. I mean, did I just get? I just got off on a Beckman rant. No, but that's. I mean, that's I think a lot of people. No, but I think spot, that's. Man. But I gotta tell you, but Bo, like, I think it's important that people hear stuff like that because Trestle is still viewed by a lot of people as just a complete saint. That he never yeah, did anything bad. wrong. He never mismanaged personnel. He was, you know, a perfect guy and treated everybody, you know, you know with complete equality and whatnot. And that's obviously not true. I mean, Terrell Pryor got a ton of preferential treatment while he was at Ohio state type of treatment that he got that almost no other players at Ohio state got. And uh, I think the stories like that are important for people to know because that is a big part of Jim Trestle's legacy as well. And I think led to some of the problems that he saw towards the end of his tenure at Ohio state. Um, I agree with you, and I would say this. You've never heard Todd Beckman once say anything negative about Jim Tressel or Ohio State. Now, you think about that, who that kid is. Yeah, he's a good dude. Even going through all that that year, never once. Just professional. I mean, I hope Any, I, don't, I haven't talked to Todd in a long time. I hope he's running a company because he's great. <laughs> we need to find that out. We need to see what he's up to. That might be a good yeah. project for us. Um, yeah. Talk to that guy. Uh, but right. in any event, that is that is ask us anything for this week. If you guys want to send us in any questions, uh, you can do that to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. So there you go. All right. Now to the most important thing, which is the uh, <laughs> right. Stormborn episode recap, episode yeah. two, season seven, Game of Thrones. Uh, title of the of the episode is Stormborn. Turn off now if you haven't watched all of Game of Thrones or uh, or don't care. Uh, because that's what the rest of the podcast will be about. We'll do about 10 minutes, 15 minutes on this. Yeah, we'll do um, Okay, so we said la- I said last week on the show that my fear was that they wouldn't have enough story and that it was that not enough happened in the first episode. Yeah. Uh, I was proven wrong with the second <laughs> episode because, holy hell, Nothing but uh, they did a crazy. lot. Yeah. Wow. I mean, was there was back. a lot going on. Um, it really was. But, and there but, were alliances that were formed. Yeah. I want to tell you something. The most important happening, yeah. and I don't want to skip over this because I know you're really excited and you want to talk about the great yeah. joys and you want to talk about like all that other stuff. Most important thing, best character in the show, Hot Pie made his return and served <laughs> up a hot pie. And he did. I, you know what? If we're doing like winners and losers on the show, winner's hot pie. The loser is every other character on the show for not being hot pie. And I was really, that was my favorite. I, that was pretty close to my favorite scene in the entire episode was, was well, the, hot the, pie. And the Arya. line where, where, where Arya says, Arya says, take care of yourself or stay alive, hot pie. And he says, well, what's, he says something essentially, what's going to happen to me? Like, yeah, I'm good. I'm hot pie. I'm hot pie. Happen Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Uh, this is a great, this is just a great episode. There's a lot going on in it. Um, there's so many classes moments i think from from a um so i come at it from a viewer of just the television show you as a book reader mm-hmm. my my gripe is just the um 
how Euron Greyjoy is the greatest warrior pirate in the history of the world. And he didn't exist five episodes ago. Right. In in my mind, he didn't exist five episodes ago. So you have a book of backstories on this guy where he exists and all of this stuff probably makes sense to you. But to me, it makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, It makes no sense that he could build an iron fleet this fast. It makes no sense that he could intercept uh, his niece's fleet and destroy them that quickly. Uh, It makes no fleet, no, no sense that Pike has this type of capabilities. The, the whole thing we've been told about Pike the entire series is it's this woebegone rock where they have no resources and it's, they, they're hanging on by a thread. I mean, they're a, Ned Stark took the Greyjoy guy's kid and, as a punishment and yeah. raised him in the north. I mean, these guys have no clout. And now all of a sudden, they're the most important people in the history of these battles. Um, and I just it's a tough sell for me now. I can love the show, and I thought the episode was great, but I am so concerned about this meteoric rise of the importance of Greyjoys. As a book reader, does it at least make sense to you where it doesn't make sense to me? Uh, so, no. I mean, <laughs> okay. I would love to tell you, I would love to tell you that, like, you know, there's all this stuff happening behind the scenes and whatnot, but what they've done is taken a very, very basic introduction to this storyline because it, there really isn't a whole lot of it i mean we are so far off book at this point it's not even really relevant they've taken a very basic introduction to the storyline and yarn Greyjoy, who admittedly is built up through two books as this like psychopath pirate like mm-hmm. lord um but you don't really see a whole lot of them you really don't see much of them at all you just kind of hear whispers and and people talk about them and how nuts he is and all this other stuff we don't really see it and but the problem with the books is that you have so many different perspectives in so many different areas. You kind of have to rely on third-person accounts of things. And sometimes those things are wrong. Sometimes those things don't pan out. Sometimes they'll build up this character to be this incredible, amazing person. And then when you actually see them, you know, somebody meets them, they turn out to suck. And they're not that great. Uh, Euron Greyjoy has been built up to be this insane pirate king crazy guy. Uh, and he's done... Okay one or two cool things in the books, but that's it. And you don't really get a good measure of the guy. And what's funny is that the show is kind of doing the same thing where it's like, you've, you've talked about him kind of, he's done one or two cool things, but you have no measure of this character. And it it sucks that you've got a really cool pirate action scene at the end of this episode, which is baller. Mm -hmm. It was really cool, which is great. But you don't like if you're in great Joe had been established over the past, like maybe, you know, season or two as this really cool crazy pirate guy and maybe you just see his ship like come out of nowhere and destroy things like that would be neat but you don't yeah. have that and so it's just weird it's weird to see a dude just pop up wreck havoc and then win like i'm not complaining about dorn basically not being a storyline anymore if if his only yeah, value totally in this show is completely destroying dorn and the sand snakes as a storyline they good i'm team i'm team you're on Greyjoy, but yeah, it was such a weird introduction and uh, elevation of a character that you really haven't gotten any information about yet. Um, okay, his ship looked really badass though. That was <laughs> his ships are unbelievable. He's That's got so no cool. wood on Pike. Yeah. It's so He's cool. No There's no reason for Pike. How's he making so these cool. things? Yeah, Where's he getting the wood? How would he do this that quick? She took his whole fleet. Yeah, and I'm supposed to believe he can make these coolest ships in the history of the world. Yeah, that no was wood. Dumb. It's just a stone island. <laughs> That's stupid. So that's my gripe. Um, that's a fair gripe in terms of win- Yeah, it's, 
Um, I think that my favorite scene is probably the the scene. I I love uh, the old uh, Tyrell lady. I mean, she's so great. Elena, and yeah, she's awesome. She's so great, and she basically calls. She calls. She tells Danny exactly what's going to happen. Where, right. listen, sweetheart, you're a dragon. Handle your business. You don't need to listen to these little twerps. You know right. how to do this. Uh, Danny clearly should have conquered Westeros, uh, uh, King's Landing, and Westeros as soon as she landed. She had every advantage, and now. Now she has no ships. She's got a Dothraki. From what I can tell, she's got a Dothraki herd who hates the water and has horses that need to be fed. So she's got thousands of people. She's on Dragonstone. She has yeah. no feed for anybody. Um, I would think that her armies would start to starve relatively quickly because she has no way of getting them off Dragonstone anymore because all of her ships, most of them are wrecked, and the other ones are going to Casterly Rock to eliminate uh, you know, whatever the threat is up there. So... They they've got real issues now with their on their battlefront, right? I mean, this is a big loss for them. I think, yeah, yes, agreed. I I don't know. I thought I, I thought strategically sending the Unsullied to Casterly Rock is stupid. I think that's really stupid. Like, why would you send? Yeah. Why would you send a group of guys who have no? I mean, reminder, they're in a a different continent. So all these guys have no intelligence, no knowledge whatsoever of the terrain. We've never. Castle Lock Rock hasn't no. even been introduced in the show yet up until this episode. Like they talked about it, no. but like, I just, I feel like that's a huge boondoggle. I don't, I don't understand why they would do that. I think that was a dumb decision on Tyrion to, to suggest that course of action. It was pretty silly. My favorite scene of the episode. And I, I kind of like what this is hinting towards was, uh, the, uh, various, uh, basically repping the streets, uh, you know, yeah. basically saying like he has no allegiance yeah, to the people of Westeros, which, you know, and what's cool is as a book reader is that you kind of get to see the uh, the subterfuge that George R. R. Martin kind of engages in with regards to a lot of these characters. Various is really built up as his nickname, like the spider, right, where he is everywhere mm-hmm. and nobody can trust him. And he just seems like a really underhanded person who might just be in it um you know for his own interest and it's cool to see that the people who you know thought maybe there was a little bit more to him that's kind of vindicated in the show because I, I love the fact that he like like i don't care who you are like you know i'm not gonna support you if you're a nutcase and yeah. i appreciated that there was somebody kind of standing up to her that way uh, i also think that foreshadows him getting eaten alive by a dragon um i think danny Probably. might lose it but I, it seems I like, like she is. It seems like she's becoming a little unhinged. You know what though? I like I I'm cool with that. I think that makes her character a lot more interesting. I don't think she should be some benevolent conqueror of Westeros. But I then like why the fact isn't, that she But then why isn't she doing what her It seems like I think she will. Her I actions will. don't match her words. I think she will. I think there'll be a breaking point. I think something bad will happen. Maybe the unsullied screws something up, whatever. Maybe there's like a, you know, a naval attack that doesn't work. And I think she's going to say, screw this. I'm burning this thing down. And she'll just, you know, destroy yeah. everything in her path. Burner, whatever the hell his name is, is going to launch a rocket launcher into the dragons. <laughs> dragon. That was stupid. I don't, I, that's, that, I yeah. hate that. I hate the trope of like, we've got the super weapon that we're going to bring. Right. Come on. Yeah. I thought, um, I thought the, uh, I thought all of the Arya stuff was great. I love that oh, yeah. she runs into Nymeria and says it's not her. And yeah, I love that, that basically the way I took that was is, you know, that goes back to the first season where, where I think Ned is telling her to like, sew or whatever. And she's like, that's not me. And, right. and then, you know, she's asking Nymeria to go back to like, you know, Stark headquarters in Winterfell. And Nymeria's like, no, I got a pack now. I'm not following your ass anywhere. 
I'm good. Yeah. Um, so I that think was the I last. By the way, cool. just real quick, that was the last thing that I think book readers were able to hold over the heads of non-book readers. Like, I know something that you don't know, which is, yeah, which is so like Chekhov's. Yeah, it's basically Chekhov's giant wolf pack. They in the last book they keep talking about how there's this roving wolf pack that is just destroying farms and villages and stuff and eating everything in its path you're like what the hell is that and then if you kind of piece it together Arya actually has you know how brand like warged into um summer like his you know into his wolf and john's kind of done that with ghosts um Arya was doing it with nymeria um in the books and so you're like oh okay so maybe Uh he's leading this giant terrifying wolf pack that's just running around westeros you know without any anybody even doing anything to it so that was like the last major thing and i think that's going to I think that wolf is going to play a really big part um, in kind of the final battles against the, like the Knights King and stuff. So that's super like, we have two left, right? We have snow and Nymeria left. I think so. Yeah. I think that's it because summer got blowed up and you know, they took the head off Rob's and then lady and then Rickon's too, right? Rickon's lost his head. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. So there's the two left. Yeah, it seems like they're going to play a big role. Um, Sansa, I'm surprised, like, after John talked to Sansa about, listen, don't embarrass me in front of people. And then she <laughs> did it again. Like, he's like, listen, you know, you got a bitch. Fine, I'll listen to you, but not in front of the lords, he said. And then one, the next meeting, she's undermining yeah. him again. Classic to be woman. Fair, though, to be fair, though, he did not, like, he didn't discuss this with that, that with her beforehand. Like, he, or rather, he did discuss it with her beforehand. And then he basically brings it up again and says, Now, nope, screw your advice. I don't give a crap. And I'm just going to do what I want to do. Right. So, but she undermines him again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but that's kind of the way the North works, though. People don't, I mean, whenever they had those councils, you know, with Rob, everybody's like saying yeah. their own opinion. They don't really yeah, have the kind of deference that the South does to the Kings and stuff. They, you know, people yeah. will say all kinds of crap in the North. They don't give a crap. I was so. thinking when Baelish was in the tomb that he was going to tell John who he was. Because oh, he really? knows you that. Thought, so you thought he was going to reveal his parentage. I thought maybe that he would do that, but he, he's still holding that Trump card. Yeah. Um, I don't think he'll, I think he'll keep that to, I think he'll keep that Trump card to try to keep um, Sansa in line. You know what I'm saying? Oh, because he's the boss of the North. Right. Well, to keep her in line and into doing what he wants her to do. Because if John is Lyanna Stark's son, that right. puts him, I think ahead in line of secession and ahead of, of Sansa. So, well, but he's a Targaryen. Yeah. But he's also a Stark, right? Like he would still be, you know, part the of hell the hell would he be? Where would his, but his dad's a Targaryen. Wouldn't he theoretically be Dragonstone? Maybe. I don't, I guess it depends on how the marriage ended up. Like if they got married, he's not a son of Ned Stark's anymore. That's true, but he is. But matter of Ned Stark's, we'd get it over a nephew of Ned Stark's, right? I don't know. I don't know exactly how. The, I, I will have to look that up because I'm not really sure how the line of secession works in the North. It's a little different than in some of the other places, right. um, like Dorne, for example. Like they basically don't even have a line of secession. Yeah, well, that's why. So I don't. I'll check that. that out. It could be Sansa still, you know, still legit and whatever. But yeah, um, I gotta check that out. That's something to look up. But the grayscale scene was too much. I that was. <laughs> I, I love the transition. I love the transition between the pus just seeping well, out gross. of Jora and then going the right pie. to the the pie. Uh, yeah. That was pretty, was pretty gross. Yeah, and was, there must be more to it than simply just yanking this stuff off. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine what else you got to do. I mean, I, 
maybe Jorah gets cured. I mean, Jorah has to get cured. They're not going to just let him die after showing that. So, yeah. I mean, at this point, if you're around, there's a reason. Right. Well, see, that's the thing. Okay, so that's the last thing that I want to talk about this because they have been talking more frequently, at least in the past two episodes, about prophecy and about what John represents, what Danny represents, Mm -hmm. and who's going to do what, and the prince that was promised. And they even talked about, this is another thing that's from the books directly, about how the prince that was promised is a mistranslation. It could be the person who was promised, uh, which is directly from the books. What I think would be really cool, and I really, really hope they do something like this, is to build up this prophecy, make everybody believe in it, and then do exactly what George R. R. Martin would do, which is to undercut it completely. And, you know, like, (laughs) Jon Snow looks like he's about to pull out Lightbringer and, and slay the Night's King, and then a random arrow hits him in the head and he dies. Like, that's the kind of thing that right. I want to see. Because to me, it's, at a certain point, things are going to get real predictable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And predictable is not what Game of Thrones is. And I, I hope they they subvert, they swerve a little bit from some of these storylines that they seem to be kind of railroading themselves into. Because I, I would well, hate to see a nuggets. predictable Game of Thrones. Yeah, you get nuggets like that. Like, the, you've seen the theory about Jamie Lannister. Maybe he's the prince that was promised. And yes. You've seen that right. with... Um, you know, that uh, Sandor Glegain is still, you know, has a big role to play, obviously. So I think that there's there's enough nuggets out there to, that you could follow some of those things. And I think that would um, be cool. If, if it ended up being Jamie, I think that would be spectacular. I think that would be awesome. I think well, there's no cool. doubt he's going to kill Cersei. I mean, that lock. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's no doubt he's putting a knife in her back. I mean, that's no doubt. The last thing I'll say, and I've got to probably wrap this up, but um, the last thing I was going to say is it's amazing how incompetent Tyrion's been lately. Even if you go back to last year, do you remember when he misadvised Danny on how to deal with the slavers? Yeah. He I mean, basically he brought them up. to Marine. He's the dude yeah. who brought them to Marine. Brought them to Marine. And, and he told her to negotiate with them. And she said, screw that. I'm going to blow their asses up. And, yeah. and then, and now he's given her all this bad advice on King's Landing where she, now she's lost her fleet. And now they're sending the unsullied to Casterly Rock. If that goes south, like this dude's, she made him the hand based on, not a lot, really. And <laughs> right. from what we he's saw on the show. And now, yeah, and he's kind of sucked at his job. If I'm going to be, you know, he's, he's no, he's not Jor, no Jorah Jor Mormont. I mean, he right. was a much better advisor. So, yeah, I'm interested how that's going. Cause he's, a, he, you know, as he's, a, he's the other one, right? Like it's Danny, John, and him are the ones that, yes, you know, are kind of the, the, the holy the trinity. Three most important characters in the narrative. Um, but again, yeah. Sometimes this is intentional. Sometimes characters doing badly foreshadows the fact that they're going to end badly. I mean, Rob, like if you go all the way back to the beginning seasons, Rob didn't just all of a sudden get killed. He made a series of bad decisions that, in retrospect, right. like, well, of course he's going to get killed. But as you're watching that right. season, you're like, okay, well, that's maybe not the smartest thing to do. Okay, maybe he should have done that. And then when he does get killed, it's a shock to you. But then in retrospect, you're like, all right, logically, yeah, his head was going to end up on a, a spike because he wasn't thinking. Um, and so, again, right. that's that's to me like what I want to see in the remaining whatever, what, like eight episodes they have now? Nine episodes? I can't remember. How many episodes they have left? Well, total, we've I think they're doing 13 total episodes, seven this, six next. So, right. so they've got 11. Two, so you're like at 11 episodes left. Yeah, so in the, yeah. In the next 11 episodes, I really want them to try to subvert expectations. I want them to kind of go back to you You do something stupid, you pay for it. And when the stakes are this high, I think it would wow. be really silly to give some of these main characters that much plot armor where they can just 
be stupid and then be sheltered from those consequences. So that's what so I want. Danny's I, been I, pretty I want, stupid. John's been take, brought back from the dead. Yeah, right, right. You know, so, so I mean, yeah. he's already done his stupid stuff and he's been brought back to the dead. It seems like, you know, obviously Cersei is going to die at some point, probably at Jamie's hand, but I mean, she's done a lot of dumb stuff and she's, she's played the game pretty well, but I mean, she's got a lot of things that she should be dead for. So the, the, her death, my, my prediction would be that she dies at the end of this season. I think that yeah. would be the way that that goes and that the next season will just be the White Walker battle. I, yeah, I, I would, I think I agree with that. I, I think that's probably how you Yeah, because you, I don't think I you, can't, that you can't string this in to the, to next year. Right. I don't know you what know, she does. I don't know what she does next episodes. season. I don't. I don't even know what purpose she would serve unless, unless well, she doesn't have again, much legs. What's left? Well, well, that's what I'm saying. Again, unless you totally subvert expectations and Danny does not manage to conquer Westeros and they end up screwing a bunch of crap up, then that's how she ends up sticking around. That they they make bad decisions and they pay for them and they don't do this. Yeah. Like, great rampage across Westeros. What would be hilarious and ironic is if she ends up being the last person standing, right? Let's say she survives all well, of she's, Let's say John and Danny go she, up there yeah. and they fight and they're heroic and they're brave and then they die and they lose. And all of a sudden, Cersei Lannister, who cobbles together some kind of defense, wins by accident. She's remembered as the great hero of Westeros. That would be a Game of Thrones ending. That would be a true Game of Thrones yeah. ending. And I would not be surprised if Boy, something That would be... That'd be a shocker, man. Yeah. And That'd that, be a real shocker. But that's but then, the show we're watching. This, the, we, we, we're getting long, but it's fine. Um, I just wonder if that's why he's having so much trouble writing this. Oh. These last books. Yeah. It's because he has just created this masterpiece of shocks and turns. And then you get to a point and you go, well, yeah, okay, this is what we built it on. I want to continue to have that. That's what's made it so great. But the straightforward story is that John and Danny and with the and Tyrion are the ones who save Westeros. I mean, that's the setup. Yeah. Um, and that that narrative, as a as someone who's invested time in the books or like me just in the show, that would be while I I see your point of like the shock would be cool, would also be pretty disappointing. Like if this, you know, if Danny, this person who has been through all that she's been through for all these, all of these pages in your world or hours in mine, if she doesn't fulfill it. I mean, she has everything you need. <laughs> she's got the well, armies. She's got the dragons. My God, right. just go. So it would be pretty shocking. And then obviously we know about the bloodline with her and John and all that. So, um, yeah, it, it's he's. I bet this is a tough – I understand why this would be a tough spot for him just because of all the twists and turns that he's made and how this was so great ability of it. I'll tell you what. All right, so let me leave you with this, all right? There's a character in the most recent book uh, in uh, Dance of Dragons named Quentin Martell. Quentin Martell is sent by okay. uh, Doran Martell to basically woo Danny. Like he's sent to East, you know, Essos to basically ask for a hand and, and create an alliance mm-hmm. between Danny and the Martells. Uh, they, the okay. book spends, Dance of Dragons spends, I don't know how many hundreds of pages building this guy up, talking about his journey. You know, he's on the boat, he, he, he's traveling through Essos, and he's getting to Marine, and he encounters all these issues. And, they build up all the personalities of his friends. And it's kind of like Star Wars where he's Luke Skywalker and his buddies are like Han Solo and Chewbacca. And it's really cool. Okay. And he gets to Danny and he's finally in the throne room at the end of the book. And Danny says, no, no, no. Sorry, dude. And he's, he's broken. And he's like, well, what do I do? And so he goes down to the dragon pit and he tries to tame one of the dragons. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they eat him alive. And that's it. His last word in the book is, oh, 
and then the dragon burns him to a cinder. And that's it. The book spent hundreds of pages building this dude up, wow. talking about his journey, and then he gets eaten alive. And that's it. And and wow. And that's man, like you gotta be able well, to have honest, and pull it off. So if that happens, right. I wouldn't be shocked, man. That's all I'm saying. Go Jamie Lannister then. Yeah. I do seriously, I, I would not be surprised if that was the final twist where the two people that we have looked up to as these saviors of Westeros end up having very little effect on the final actual outcome. I don't think that's actually gonna happen. Awesome. I think they'll go much more conventional than that. Um, but that would be a hell of a twist. And I would I think that would be cool. So that'd be pretty ballsy, yeah. All right, buddy. Well, we'll talk next week about it, and uh, we'll talk about the start of camp, among other things. Uh, so, so that was us. That's it for this week. We're done. Yeah. That's a wrap. We'll talk next <laughs> week, my friend. Sounds good.